How many of you uh, had a grandparent who left an indelible mark upon your life? Think about that. I uh, was thinking about that this week in regard to my message, and I was extremely blessed to have uh, three tremendous grandparents. Uh, Three of them lived into uh, the middle 90s, Uh, my uh, mom's mom and dad, and and then my uh, dad's mom. I'm convinced that I'm here today as a believer and in ministry because I had two uh, grandmothers who knew how to pray. They just were prayer warriors. And I just want to encourage you, if you're here today and uh, you're a grandparent, please understand the opportunity you have uh, through your life and lifestyle, but especially through your prayers, to make a huge difference. I'm just convinced I'm here because of those two dear and wonderful ladies. And uh, today I, I want to share a little bit about uh, one of my grandmothers, uh, Grandma Betty. That's my dad's mother. And uh, when we were growing up, we lived fairly close there. And I was pretty close to Grandma Betty. And there were two things that I remembered this week that I wanted to share with you. Number one, Grandma Betty worked at a drugstore. And uh, at the drugstore in this little town in Missouri, they had all kinds of candy. And so when we'd go to Grandma Betty's house, she'd go, now, if you do these few chores, then you can, I'll take you down to the drugstore and you can get some candy. And so being the obedient grandchild that I was, it didn't matter about the candy. It was just that I was just an obedient grandkid. And uh, no, not really. Uh, I was very inspired by candy. How about you when you're a little kid? And so I would try to please grandma so that she would take me down to the, the drugstore and I can get some candy. That was one thing that I remember about Grandma Betty. The other was it was around the 4th of July. And again, I was a young boy. And, uh, it was around the 4th of July, like I said. And so I, I got a black cat. Anybody know what a black cat is? It's not a black cat. It's a firecracker called a black cat. And uh, I didn't know where to put it, so I put it in her rain gauge. She had this big uh, garden, and she always wanted to see how much rain was there. So it looked like a perfect place for a firecracker. So I put it in there, and I lit it, and ran away. And, you know, when you're a kid, even when you're an adult, you don't always think through things, right? And uh, it blew it to smithereens. And I just felt absolutely horrible. I had to go tell Grandma Betty that I blew up her rain gauge. I was humiliated and embarrassed and thought she might hit me. She was always in the kitchen. So I thought, man, she'd have a frying pan or something, you know, and not give it. So I was so stinking scared, but I knew she'd find out anyway. And I was going to blame my brother, but he wasn't around. And uh, so I knew I was in trouble. So I went in and I told Grandma Betty and I was crying. You know, I'm not very emotional. And I was crying, and I said, Grandma Betty, this is what I did. And, uh, and she said, you know, that's not right. And I said, I know that. And she said, well, I just baked some really uh, fresh cookies. Why don't you sit down and have a cookie with me? Which one of those two experiences do you think shaped my life more than the other? The second one. Because I got what I didn't deserve. Instead of the frying pan over the head... I got a warm baked cookie. And and that changed my life. And a lot of who I am and that experience has shaped me. I've entitled my message today, Getting What You Deserve? Question mark. 
getting what you deserve, question mark. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus name, thanking you and praising you for your choosing of us. The Bible says that we didn't choose you. You chose us. We thank you that you have met us in a divine way. You've changed our life. You lead us and guide us each day. You fill us with your spirit. You've given us a purpose, not only on this earthly journey, but for the life to come. And I pray that as we look at and unpack this second chapter of the book of Ephesians, especially the first seven verses, that you would meet us and teach us and encourage us and inspire us and transform us and help us to be the men and women and church you want us to be. We thank you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have heard the saying, you get what you deserve? Everybody in here pretty much has heard that. I think probably from our earliest memories in one facet or another, we've heard this message communicated loud and clear. Whether it be from our family life or Maybe our educational system or sports or other activities or maybe even in our occupation or in our culture, uh, this you get what you deserve is a prevalent theme, isn't it? It's a prevalent theme, isn't it? You get what you deserve. In regard to the Christian faith, is this true? Get your wheels thinking a little bit is get what you deserve, a foundational truth of biblical Christianity? Some of you are already answering. That's good. Be thinking. I really want to say this to you today. We need to be aware of and very careful that we don't adopt into our Christian faith statements that we've grown up with that are not true from a biblical perspective. I hope you heard me. Let me just use a few illustrations. God helps those who help themselves. How many of you have ever heard that growing up? I mean, it's just that's how we raise our kids. It's part of that whole system. How many of you have ever heard they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good? When the Bible says, set your heart and your mind on things above where Christ is seated and not on the things of this earth. Or you get what you deserve. I'm concerned these things can really shape and and be um, negative in regard to our faith system and our faith belief and our understanding of what the Bible reveals. See, in all reality, true Christianity is based on what we don't deserve. If every human being were to get what they deserve in regard to a holy God, we would be in a dark and difficult and desperate place. How many of you know that Christianity is the only religion in history and in the world today that does not base their faith system on works? It's the only religion in the world. Every other religion, you have to dot the I, cross the T, do this, don't do that. I'm not saying we don't have personal responsibility, but the foundation of the Christian belief system that distinguishes our faith from every other faith in history and on the planet Earth is it's not based foundationally on works. And people don't quite understand that. And many times Christians and the church, we still operate in a works mentality. 
And we're going to talk about that day in the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bible, and I want to invite you to start bringing it every Sunday if you don't, because we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians. You know, we started a six-month uh, look at the book of Ephesians called Foundations of the Faith. And uh, how many of you know that you never arrived in regard to understanding the foundations? I, I heard one person tell me one time, the definition of wisdom is relearning the things you thought you already knew. I like that. I pray every day for wisdom for my family and myself. That means that for me that I need to be open to relearning what I thought I already knew. In Ephesians, we're going to find so many foundational truths that should encourage us, inspire us, and challenge us. Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, I want to read to you verses 1 through 7. And, and before I do that, as you're turning there, I hope you'll hear me. That these seven verses are some of the most important verses in the entire Bible. We have 66 books of the Bible. And if someone were to ask me, if you could only read seven verses out of this whole Bible, where would you go? If somebody asked you that question, what would you say? If somebody were to ask me that question, I would say Ephesians chapter 2 1 through 7. That's how important this text is. I think it's the most significant description in seven verses of the good news of God through Jesus Christ. So Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And he, meaning Jesus, made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, verse three, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Wow, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love by which he's loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In uh, the leading part of chapter 2 there, the little description of the uh, chapter there, my Bible says, by grace through faith. Pretty simple. By grace through faith. I want to define grace because there's lots of definitions out there. There's lots of catchy statements, and, and I believe in all of those, and I like a lot of those, but I want to give you what the Greek text uh, actually means with this word. This is what grace means. It's the word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, charis. It means a divine influence upon the heart revealed by cheerfulness, joy, liberality, pleasure, and thankfulness. I'm going to read it one more time. Grace. It's a divine influence. I'll just simply say, first of all, it's God's initiative. We need to understand that about grace. It's God's initiative. A divine influence upon the heart revealed by cheerfulness, joy, liberality, 
pleasure and thankfulness. So let's just let that be the foundation which we use today. Again, there's other definitions, there's other catchy statements, but let it be that. A divine initiative that really creates a human reward. Now what I'd like to do is in these seven verses, I could probably preach for six months on it. There's that much there. But what I want to do is I want to use the word grace as an acronym And I want us to look at what's said there in those seven verses. So I've got five points. G-R-A-C-E. First of all, G. Gift. First of all, grace is a gift. And we see this gift here. Do you believe that, that grace is a gift? How many of you like to receive gifts? Thank you. You guys are warming up. A lot of times in church you ask them and they think they're being set up and then they're afraid to answer. No, I don't want gifts. Liar. (laughs) I like gifts. I like gifts, especially that enhance my life. And what I want to say to you is in James chapter one, verse 17, it says every good and perfect gift has come down from the father above. The best and the perfect gift of God is his grace. As a human being, you'll never be able to receive a greater gift from God than grace. That divine influence that he creates in your heart that produces the joy and the cheerfulness and the liberality and the pleasure that you can't gain from any human stimuli. The greatest gift you will ever receive as a human being is God's amazing grace. We sang about it today. Grace, grace, amazing grace. The key thing about grace is that you didn't earn it and you don't deserve it. Did you hear that? Can I repeat that? Grace is something that you didn't earn And you didn't deserve it. Isn't that amazing that we've grown up a world in our home, in our educational system, in our occupation, in our culture. You get what you deserve. But grace is something you didn't earn and you don't deserve it. You never have. You never will deserve it. That's why it's amazing. Because you can't buy at a store. You can't do enough good things. You can't avoid temptation enough to receive grace. It's simply a gift from God. Those who subtly or overtly believe or what concerns me today and people aren't discerning, I don't think enough, that preach law, legalism, rules and works that aren't first based on grace, they judge you by what you do or what you don't do, not upon who he is or who he's called you to be. And they preach it like it's God's word, but it's legalism. I smell it. I see it. I feel it. They misunderstand the message and the meaning of grace. we That's the only thing that distinguishes us, basically, is that we're not a, a rules-oriented, works-oriented religion. And then there's so many people in the pulpit preaching law and legalism. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we don't have responsibility. But sometimes they preach against things that they're living in their own life, and you can smell it and you can see it. 
be watching. I'm not trying to make you fearful, but I am amazed at how many people are gullible to preachers who preach legalism and law. And it's not based on the foundation of the character and nature of God of grace. And they act so spiritual and they'll judge you by what you do or don't do. And they'll use the Bible. Bang over the head. Bang. You didn't live up to that. Beware. Be careful of those kind of preachers. If you want to understand, experience and live the best life God has for you, the starting point is grace, the gift of God's grace. Don't you see grace there in those verses? If you don't see it now, go home and read it. I think you'll see it throughout those first seven verses. So R, what does that stand for in these verses? Rebellion. Rebellion. Verses 1 through 3 especially addresses the problem of human nature before and without the gift of God's grace. Human nature is rebellious. And two people believe me. Human nature is rebellious. The word rebellion means in opposition to or refuse. If God asks you something you don't want to do, do you go, oh, God, I love you so much? Sure. Maybe in a good season of life and, and maybe with his irresistible grace, but most of you go, nah. What if God said to you, you know that coworker that's struggling or whatever that you don't like and they got promoted over you and they treat you like dirt? I want you to go and tell them how much I love them and you love them. Oh, great. God, thanks for picking me. It's like, no way. It ain't going to happen. Or we could go on a million different illustrations, but this happened to me is that, you know, I'll be living my life and saying, God, I want I want to just be able to give and be available. And God would say, there's a need over there. And and, uh, you know, I want you to give to it. God, did you just see what my checkbook said? It's that I paid my bills and there isn't anything left. And, you know, God doesn't always understand my point of view. And he would say, but you know what? I'm asking you to do that because I'm going to show you a miracle. I'm going to provide not only going to bless them. I'm going to bless you because you're doing what I'm asking you to do. Not I'm not saying your name is on every need, but your name is on a lot of needs. Did you know that? Wow, that hurt. (laughs) And your rebellious nature just said, I don't like what the preacher is saying. (laughs) We are by nature rebellious in opposition many times to what God wants. The Bible says that we've all sinned and we're all rebellious. None of us are without that. Okay, to truly understand and appreciate the gift of God's grace, we have to understand how steeped in, how controlled by and how overcome we've been by blatant rebellion. It's just true. Let me ask you a question, because I I, want to be honest in church. I really think that's important. How many of you have ever participated in witchcraft? Would you raise your hand? Okay, two or three of you. Did you know that 1 Samuel 15 says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft? 
Now, we would never get involved in witchcraft. That's really on the dark side. That's really over the line. The Bible says that if you are rebellious, which our human nature is, you it's just like uh, participating in witchcraft. Wow, that's pretty serious stuff, isn't it? See, I want you to know the focus and the power of the gift of grace is to address our propensity for hideous rebellion. Not only in the past, but when we give room to our human nature, even as a Christian, we can fall prey to rebellion. And Ephesians chapter 2 talks about his grace that deals with our rebellion. Read it. It's right there in those verses. A stands for alive. The Bible makes it emphatically clear that sin and rebellion and pride and other attributes of our fallen nature create death. Spiritual death. Did you know that each one of us were born with spiritual death? The Bible says that when we were born, we were really objects of wrath. We hadn't come to Christ. We hadn't had our sins forgiven. Our human nature hadn't been dealt with, with our understanding of receiving Christ. So we had spiritual death when we were born. And spiritual death is coming for people in the future who don't understand the good news of God through Jesus Christ, have received Christ, have their sins forgiven. They will experience spiritual death because of rebellion, because they have not received the grace of God that's listed about in Ephesians chapter 2. The reality is that, again, when God deals with, With our rebellion through grace, he makes us alive. Not we're all humanly alive, but not everybody's spiritually alive. And every Christian is not necessarily spiritually alive because they don't yet fully understand what's happened through their giving of themselves to Christ and Christ being inside of them. And that's found here in these verses. We are now alive to thrive. As a believer, as a a new believer in Christ or as a believer in Christ, we have opportunities we couldn't have before because we're no longer spiritually dead. We've been made alive in God through Christ. My question to you, hopefully it goes beyond theological understanding. It goes into your practical life. Are you alive in Christ? I read a, a, a Twitter Uh, feed this week from a a preacher that I know, and I thought it was so good. He says, I really don't want to spend a couple hours every Sunday morning with uh, basically bored adults. Now, all of you might be offended by that, but so often in churches all across America, is there really, are they alive? Or are we going through the mechanisms and the mechanics? We do this, we do that, we uh, do this in our service, we do that. Thank you, good night, goodbye, see you next week. I don't know about you, I know part of it's because I'm a passionate person. Part of it is that I'm an extravagant extrovert. But you know what? Gosh, this life shouldn't be so boring. In church. God forbid anybody raise their hands. That's charismatic. No, that's being alive sometimes. The Bible says, lift up holy hands to the Lord. 
God forbid we'd shout, Hallelujah, Amen, Hosanna, Maranatha. Well, I don't even know what all those words mean. I don't care. Say them anyway. Just. I'm just being honest with you folks. And I'm not directing it towards you or necessarily connections, church, but I've been around the body of Christ in church for a long time. And I look over and I watch that football game and I don't see anybody looking around and go, well, I shouldn't shout because they just got a touchdown. <laughs> I might stand out negatively. Now, you guys might not like that example and you might be mad at me, but I think it's worthy to be thought about. Why in the world would we so go crazy, nuts, yelling, screaming, throwing popcorn, giving high fives, the big bumps that they do for a football game? And I love sports. You got to know how much I love sports for a football game that doesn't make one bit of eternal difference. But when we come into church and we're celebrating a God that's worthy, worthy is the lamb. We go silent. We get bored. We get low. I think one of the greatest descriptions of the church is we're alive. Who wants to go to a dead church? I don't. And if you get a little dead on me, I'm going to yell at you like I am today. Hey, this Bible passage talks about the grace of God, which is a gift dealing with our rebellion so that we become spiritually alive. See, changed. Changed. If you look at uh, verse, the end of verse five, well, I'll read verse five. Even when we were dead in trespasses, God made us alive. We just talked about that together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It's really the word changed. If you look in the Greek, it's the Greek word sozo, S-O-Z-O. And it means to be saved. What it means to be is dramatically transformed on the inside and the outside. Not just outside, not just inside, inside and outside. Saved, changed. When the Bible says that you can be saved or born again, it means that inner nature that is prone to rebellion and to sin and to pride gets dramatically changed so that we're empowered to live a life of righteousness and obedience and faith and truth. It's a total transformation. I truly struggle. When somebody will tell me they're a Christian, but they can't tell me any significant encounter with Christ that totally changed and transformed them. Because the reality is, it's not so much what believing the right thing or learning the right thing from the Bible. It's about living the right thing because we encounter the presence and power of God. Now, I'm not saying that everybody has dramatic conversions. Everybody doesn't have to have mine. Walking into a church, 1978, long hair, angry, drug dependent, confused, semi-suicidal, and walked out and said, Jesus, if you're real, come into my life. And he came into my life and my world just began to, to change in so many dramatic ways. I know this sounds like a crazy one and a little one. But you know, I went in 
cussing like a drunken sailor. And I came out and man, if I heard a swear word, it would just it would break my heart. I didn't change. I didn't leave there. Go, you know what? I don't like I don't want to like cuss words anymore. I don't want to use them anymore. And if somebody says them, I just I, I want my ears to burn and my heart to break. That wasn't me. And I don't know why that one always comes to my mind, but that was one is like, but man, my world changed. You don't have to have a dramatic experience, but I'm asking you. Can you point to a time that you really encountered Christ and Christ encountered you and you've truly been changed, truly transformed on the inside and the out? If not, I've got to ask you the question. Are you truly saved? Are you truly born again? Has Christ truly come into your heart? Is he truly Lord and Savior? Because it's not about going to church and it's not about it's not about knowing the right stuff. We can't be change agents if we haven't been changed. And Ephesians 2 talks about the grace of God that deals with our rebellion, that makes us alive because we're truly changed on the inside and the out. And the last elevated. Elevated. If you look at verse six, it says, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm going to have the band start coming back, but I want you to hear this about being elevated. When I've read that verse in the past, and if I'm not careful, I can read it in in the present and go. Sometimes that just seems foreign to me and confusing. Try to hear, listen to it again. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. No. I'm standing in front of you at Connections Church, Fort Collins, Colorado. I'm not sitting in heaven. I'm not sitting with him up on the throne. So what can this mean? There's a lots of different uh, revelation and interpretation. And I don't want to get into too many theological things, but I think part of the answer in kind of just a simplistic way today, if you look in verse seven, it says that in the ages to come. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace that you can't pull this verse out of context like I hear people do. Basically, what I think it's saying is it's offering to us the certainty of resurrection. If you've received the gift of God's grace and he's dealt with the human nature of rebellion and you've been made alive with God in Christ, you've been truly changed from the inside out. That when you die, you will go be with him. It's not the only interpretation, but I think it's an important one because I deal with people who are dying. That's part of my job. I sit with people. I prepare people. I talk with people. I hold their hands. I pray with people who are dying. And many believers I found over the years are deathly afraid of dying. Now, I hope I'm a compassionate person. I think I am. And I think I understand that to some degree. But it makes me wonder if they really don't truly understand or believe in the certainty of resurrection. 
The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. Now, I know we, we want to hold on. I know we don't, want to, we don't want to part from the ones that we love. Maybe we didn't get all out of life what we wanted. But my friend, for the believer, you're going to a better place. You've got a certainty of resurrection. You can't live forever here in a human state. You won't do it. Do we want to squeeze as many days and as many years? Yes. But I'm telling you, I like what Paul said. He said, man, I long to leave here and go be with Christ. To be free from the human body of rebellion, and selfishness and pride and stress and fear and worry and heartache and all the stuff this earthly journey has for us. So, my friends, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 7, some of the most important verses in all of Scripture that talks about grace, the gift of grace to deal with our rebellion, which creates an ability for us to be alive because we've been changed on the inside and outside, looking forward to the promise and the certainty of resurrection. I've been uh, accused and criticized on numerous occasions of being too grace-oriented. And I want to say to you, if grace is a key characteristic and attribute of the God who revealed himself through my grandma Betty who didn't hit me over the frying pan because I was young and stupid and put a firecracker in a rain gauge but said come on down and have a warm cookie with me So if that's the characteristic nature of the God that I love and I serve and that saved me, I'm guilty. And I'm grateful to be guilty and I'm thankful to be guilty. Because by grace, you've been saved. Let's stand.
God, Creator God, Alpha and Omega, beginning in God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just let Him just draw close to you. Don't keep Him at arm's distance. Don't be motivated by shame or guilt. Don't get caught up in being legalistic or law or work or rule oriented don't get me wrong I'm not talking about responsibility but let the grace of God fill you inside and out if there's anybody in here today Maybe you've gone to church a week, a month, a year, 20 years, 30 years. I remember back at First Christian Church, back in about early 80s, 
and our pastor Charlie Patchen gave an invitation for people to come to Christ, to preach the gospel like I did today to some degree. And two elders and a deacon came to Christ. And they're saying, that's crazy. How, how, they, they were in church positions. It's because they were in church positions. My friends, we're not here today to talk about church positions or about leadership. We're talking about your heart, your life, your interaction with God. If there's anybody here today, and as I talk about the grace of God, dealing with your rebellion, are you made alive? Has Christ touched you in such a way that you can say, I'm different, I'm changed, and I'm sure of the certainty of resurrection? If you're here today and and you haven't received Christ, you've heard about it, but today is your day. For whatever reason, today is your day. Nobody's going to look down at you. Nobody is going to be looking around. Only God is bidding you to come and, and He's saying, give your heart to me. Receive my grace in full. Be saved. Be born again. Be made new. If there's anybody in here, as everybody's just bowing their heads and closing your eyes, because it's not about looking around, it's about you and God. If there's somebody in here today and you haven't done that and you want to leave here today changed by the grace of God to deal with your rebellion so you can come alive and you can be certain of resurrection. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. Nobody's looking around. I am so I can pray for you. One person. Anybody else? Anybody else today? Don't miss this opportunity. Two. Who else? Three. Who else? Four. Who else? You see, God loves you so much that He drew you here today. Because He wants you to be born anew, born again. You know the right stuff, otherwise you probably wouldn't be here. But today you're giving your heart to Him. And what I want to do, those people, you can put your hand down. And I want you to pray this prayer. It's not to me, and it's not for me. It's to Him, and because of Him, and for you. Pray this prayer with your heart. And I guarantee you, by the love and the grace and the mercy of God, if you're sincere, He's going to hear you and He's going to come in. And He will change you. You don't have to change you. He'll change you. So for those four people, I want you right now to to pray silently in your heart to the Lord. Something like this. Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for drawing me here today. Thank you for opening my understanding. Thank you for opening my heart. Today I need you. Today I want you. Today I ask you, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my Redeemer. Forgive me for all of my sins. Forgive me for my rebellion. Forgive me for my pride. Forgive me for being stiff-necked. Come in and change me. Make me alive. Make me new. Give me the certainty of resurrection. Jesus, come into my life. 
If you've done that today, I commend you. The Bible says that all the angels, not some of them, all the angels in heaven are rejoicing when a person gives their heart to Christ. So all the 10,000 upon 10,000 upon 10,000 angels in heaven are rejoicing for these four people right now. Let's join the heavenly chorus. Say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for these people. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Now, those four people, I'm going to follow up. I saw who you were because it's my responsibility to try to encourage you now in your faith and to grow. So isn't it been wonderful that we've been able to celebrate God's grace today? One more time. Let's sing that song and then we'll go. How great is our God. Sing it out. Be alive. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Sing that again. to the bridge. You're the name above all names. You are worthy of all praise. And my heart will see how great is your I just want to simply say to you, go in his grace. Have a great day, great week. Love you. Go in his grace. In Jesus' name. Amen.